I'm Madassar Ahmed, Managing Partner at Unitas Communications, and this is PR Unmasked. This exclusive episode is co-hosted by Rabia Chowdhury, the author of a New York Times bestseller, Adnan Story, and the co-host of Undisclosed Podcast, which investigates wrongful convictions in the United States. In this episode, I sat down with the cast and the crew of the groundbreaking new film, The Mauritanian, which tells the inspiring true story of Mohamedou Salahi, who was imprisoned in Guantanamo Bay without conviction for a staggering 14 years and finally released in 2016. We are delighted to have Mohamedou and his defence attorney, Nancy Hollander, with us today, as well as the team that worked hard to bring his memoir, Guantanamo Diary, to the big screen. Academy Award-winning director Kevin MacDonald, along with Jodie Foster and Tahar Rahim, who were both nominated for a Golden Globe for their performances. If you stray outside the designated areas, you will be removed from the island. It's recommended you wear a hijab when visiting your client. We've had incidents of inmates spitting at female lawyers. You want to represent the head recruiter for 9-11. Mohamedou Oldslahi, the Mauritanian, held in Guantanamo. He recruited the guys who flew your friend's plane into the South Tower. He put those men on my husband's plane? I'm going to make him pay. All my time here, I've been told you are guilty. Not for something that I have done, but because of suspicions and associations. I am innocent. He has been interrogated. He has been held against his will for six years without a single charge being laid against him. Well, just watching that again, um, you know, reminds me of I've seen the movie and it's certainly one of the most powerful works of art that I've ever engaged with. It's also, The Mauritania is also one of the first Hollywood movies to explore this controversial subject. But to kick things off, I'm going to hand over to Rabia to, to start the, the discussion. Rabia, over to you. Thanks, Manasar. Good afternoon to everyone who's, uh, who's joining us today and to our panelists. I want to ask my first question to Mohamedou, if that's okay. This is what my question is. And this comes up in the trailer, also in the movie, of course. You talk about how, as an immigrant or somebody who not, does not live in the United States, you had a certain amount of respect for the justice system here, uh, for how the police operate and how the state operates um, on criminal matters. And of course, that was all wiped clean through your experience. But where do you stand now towards the American justice system, towards America as a nation? Because to me, it doesn't seem like you are really carrying any resentment or anything. Uh, First, I would like uh, to thank you, Rabia, and uh, thank Mudassa for inviting us. This is a great honor, indeed. So to the question, I, I don't know, I'm a little bit confused because, you know, when I arrived, ironically, at Guantanamo Bay, I was so happy because I said, now I'm in America, not in Afghanistan, not in Jordan, not in Mauritania. I thought it's going to be clear uh, enough to them very soon that I wasn't the guy they were looking for. I would be uh, going home. I was, uh, I was in for a big surprise in that this was my ignorance. I did not understand the American justice system. So the, the, the most important takeaway from the American justice system is still evolving. It's still, it's still a child. They, they don't know what to do. I mean, uh, watching the discussion right now, whether or not to uh, 
impeach for instance Trump, there is a, a real division whether human beings at large have the right to be treated with dignity. This question is not answered. And unfortunately for people like me, uh, people who are not Americans uh, so far don't have the right to be treated with human dignity. So that's why they did to that kind of way. But I'm hopeful. I'm so hopeful that Biden won the election. And, you know, the bar is not very high, to be honest with you. Because yeah. after four years of uh, Trump, yeah. you know, I'm very hopeful, you know, very hopeful that people like me uh, can be better understood. We are so misunderstood, you know. All yeah. my fans want is the same freedom that you enjoy in the U.S., in U.K., in Europe. Like, we just want the same thing as you guys do. But people think that we are angry. That's why they always were shocked when they told me that kind of Muhammad, why are you so happy? I, I, I was had the same answer. I told them over and over, I would like my humiliation to be as cheap as possible. <laughs> Muhammad, I'd like to follow up on that and, and ask you, how did you manage to keep, I mean, it baffles me. How did you manage to keep your faith when you were under so much torture and under such strenuous conditions? You know, uh, Mudassar, thank you again for having us. The premise of your question is that I kept my faith. I'm not sure I agree with you. Right. You know, I don't know. You know, at least my grandmother taught me that I should be a good person. And because good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And I kept that. But I'm not sure I believe that uh, good people always get good things, you know, their way. And I think that it's a little bit more complicated than that. And, and I was so curious, you know, like, why, who are Americans? So that's when they allowed me, I just like dove in books, uh, learning about American history, Western history. I read the Bibles many times. I wrote like many essays for myself about the Bible. And so and I just tried to understand. And I decided not to have any resentment because one of the things that are true that my uh, grandmother taught me, when you forget, you get closer to God. And that's true because this is the biggest gift I've given myself is forgiveness, no resentment. Mudassar, I can tell you with my heart that I have no resentment against anyone. I wish everybody, including those who mistreated me, the best in their life. Can I um, ask uh, Kevin a question? And this is something that's been kind of burning in my brain is, uh, since I learned about this film. Um, I work with a team of lawyers and we work on exonerations ar across the country. We investigate, we try to exonerate people who have life sentences in the, in the country. And many times I, it has occurred to me that we should maybe do a couple of cases that are like post 9-11 counterterrorism cases or terrorism cases. But me and my team always decided that it wasn't the right time, that America wasn't yet ready to hear it. So I'm just wondering, why did you think that America is finally ready to, to have a bit of a reckoning with what we've done in Guantanamo? Well, first of all, I'm in London, so I'm probably a bit oblivious <laughs> to the real feelings in America. And I probably, to be honest with you, didn't think about that 
so deeply. I decided I really wanted to make this movie because I spoke to Muhammad. I read his book. I thought it was an amazing testimony and, and showed that he's truly a, a real writer. You know, he's an artist as well as everything else, Muhammadu. But I didn't see it, what, how I could make a movie from it. But when I spoke to him on Skype, uh, as you're getting a little flavor now, he's such an interesting man and so unexpected. His frame of reference is so wide. And I thought, this is the way to tell this story in a very human way through this individual character, not to make a film that is entirely angry and gloomy and political, because who wants to see that? I mean, a few, a few of us might want to see that, but to make a film which tells this story from a human perspective, from a very simple perspective, here's a character who is so interesting and who we can love as a character. And so, yeah, I didn't think about it in terms of, is America mm -hmm. ready? Probably if I had, I would have had the same fears as you have. I've been doing a lot of publicity in America as of Tahar and Jody for the film. And there, there is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tense, it's a tense discussion sometimes with some people, but a lot of people, the majority of people are, really responding and people who don't know anything about Guantanamo. I'm amazed how many people don't really know about the injustice of Guantanamo. So I'm hopeful that this is going to open up a discussion. There will be some people who are angry, but hopefully not too many. Thanks, Kevin. I'll follow up with a, with a question for you too. And I, I was particularly struck with the, the torture scenes and, you know, they're very, very powerful. Um, and, I, and I wondered if you might say a bit about the sort of thinking process and creative process that went into them? Well, yes, we uh, thought and talked a lot, myself and the, the, the writing team and the, and, and, and the designer and the cinematographer about how to do those sequences because obviously they go to the very heart of why we're telling the story. And you know, even if Mohamedou had been in prison for 14 years and hadn't had that treatment, it would be a, a terrible story, but the, the torture element of it takes it to you know, a different level and takes the crime that was committed there against him to a different level. But we didn't want to show those in a way that would make everybody switch off their TV or walk out of the theater. And so there's a, there's a, there's a balance that has to be struck. And so the decision I made was, I want to go inside Mahamadou's head. I want to try and show the psychological effect that the torture is having rather than too much of the physicality of it so the, the the you know what's happening to his body as it were so we go to and this is all inspired by the way with things that are in Mohamedou's book we go to memories of his childhood we go to surreal dreams where he thinks he's back in his apartment in Germany uh, we use sound to be disorientating and to sort of take you into a subjective experience and I think that is very different than what has been done in the past and the depictions there have been of torture in movies like Zero Dark Thirty and other movies which have been made about this period. They're not specifically about Guantanamo because those movies see, you know, from an American perspective, the body of the victim, the torture victim, and we see the physical abuse to the body, but we never are with that person who is being tortured. We're never inside their head trying to experience what it's actually like and what it's doing to them. And that was my guide in trying to make, make those sequences. If I could ask Jody, 
My question for you is that um, you've played so many iconic characters in, in incredible films, and I've seen all of them multiple times. What attracted you to this particular role? Um, and did you fear that there might be some, some negative reactions from others in your industry for elevating the story and playing uh, Nancy's role? Uh, well, when you, you know, when you first get that first script and you look at the script, you really wait for that feeling of being totally moved and being connected and being inside the story. And once you get that, then you move on to the other questions. The first question was, is who is this Nancy Hollander? And I was so intrigued by her, just who she is as a person, by all of her contradictions. You know, you know, Nancy loves her lipstick and her and her nail polish and fast race cars, but she also is this very sober, incredibly intelligent, heroic figure. You know, for me, I, I thought that was so interesting. But I think we're all here for the same reason. And the reason that I took the movie is for the same reason, which is really just to tell Mohammadou's story. I mean, we're all here to serve that. And the character of Nancy that I play um, needed to be created so that her story serves Mohammadou's story. Um, and that was really my impulse in the film. And I know that's true of Nancy's impulse in uh, wanting to bring this film to life, wanting to bring Mohammadou's book to, to people was just so that people would know who Mohammadou was, uh, be able to follow his story and be able to follow it, like, like Kevin said, through his eyes. So that was the big impulse for me. And I, I, you know, I'm never scared of the truth. I feel like whenever I take a movie, I say, is it true? That really is my one question. It's, it's my one question throughout the entire day when I'm making a film, whether I'm a director or producer or an actor, you know, is this true or is this not true? Is this authentic or is it not authentic? And once you've done that, people can't help but respond to truth. And uh, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm a romantic. I'm not very cynical. I, I really believe that if the movie is true and if people enter into that experience that they will, you know, be changed by it. So I guess I, I don't worry so much about the backlash. Thanks, Jody. I'll, I'll follow up here. I mean, just related a bit to what you just said now, were you aware of the story before you got involved in the production, one? And two, has this movie changed you in any way, impacted you in any way, deeply? Yeah, well, I knew absolutely nothing about Guantanamo and uh, being an American, living through 9-11, having had that experience and feeling all those feelings that we have in America. It's shocking that I, you know, vaguely knew that Guantanamo was there. I knew that Obama wanted to close it and somehow I just, you know, blocked everything out. So when I read the story, it was very powerful to me. And it, it's an opportunity to revisit a dark part of our past that's what movies can do. They can take you back to uh, a somber moment in our history so that we can do some process of truth and reconciliation, of reparation, of healing, and figuring out, you know, how did this happen? And who were we? And uh, what psychologically, you know, how are we reacting to that? You know, much like we were able to do with, you know, the Jim Crow South after Reconstruction or the Trail of Tears or um, Japanese internment camps. You know, we have to, as a country and as a people, human beings, we have to look back and, and see our part in human suffering. Thank you. Rabia. Yeah, um, I'd like to speak to Harahim. Congratulations on the Golden Globe uh, nomination. It's so well-deserved. Um, my question for you is, you know, when I watched the film, I mean, until almost the very end, there is like almost a sense of ambivalence. Like, is this a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he angry and violent? Is he like, it's, and you portrayed so many emotions in such a restrained way, but you kind of keep the audience on their toes, not exactly knowing 
who Mohamedou is. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you managed to balance all of those things, being likable, but also maybe being a little frightening. And was that done intentionally? Uh, not really, because <laughs> uh, all credits to, um, to the director, to Kevin and, and the writers, because the way they wrote it and, and the way Kevin directed it is made to make people doubt about Mohamedou. But I, I didn't try to, you know, to help that in my, in my performance because uh, it would have been a lie to my uh, character. He is innocent and he believes mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. So it would have been a mistake. And, you know, and then maybe the way I would have portrayed it would have been too much and you don't get to reach the audience. So um, the way they wrote it was perfect. But, but to portray Mohamedou, I, I, uh, when, I, when I received the script, I really read it. I, I was blown away, first of all. I wanted to do it, so I called Kevin and said, I'm in. And uh, I didn't want to talk to Mohamedou straight away because I, I needed to, first of all, do what I always do when I work with my characters, uh, is to understand in the, the script, the character that is written in the script, because there's always a little bit of difference. Uh, I mean, uh, a movie is uh, squared. There's a, you need to tell 14 years in two hours. So it has to be adapted. And then I, I we talked with Kevin a lot. Uh, I got lucky that I had the script two years ago. So we had time to talk and sometimes I would read the script and put it on the side, you know, do my things and think about it. So it, it infused inside of me. And at, at a certain point, I felt like I needed to talk to Mohammed, which I did. As, as you all, I, I was very surprised that he wouldn't be angry at all but and, and plus being so uh full of life and and uh and happy and uh funny all of it was very it was uh hard to believe you know i was like wow so i asked him i said did, did, are you still angry or something and he said so i was angry but when uh when i understood that to forgive people is a treat to that is a treat to yourself and then you can be free in a way, and, and you might possibly change the mind of the people you meet, make them, you know, change. Uh, you might have this power as well. And it was uh, incredible. So this is something I, I observed him, the way he moved, who he is. But most importantly, I felt that I was meeting someone special. You know, there is great figures of uh, uh, people that did great things for humanity. Let's talk about, for example, Nelson Mandela. They're famous, so we wish we could meet them. Mohammed was the same type of guy, and he was in front of me. Thank you, uh, Tahar, very, very powerful answer. I, I must admit, I've been engaging with your work a lot more lately, and I've been very, very impressed by, by everything that I've been, been seeing, and I've been watching The Serpent lately, and it, <laughs> it seems like the British public can't get enough of you. But for now, what I'd like to know is how do you choose which roles you take? And my second part, you've already answered, which is I was going to ask you what you learned from playing Mohamedou, but I guess how will that help you when you choose future roles? What do you think that, what lessons you think okay. might apply? from having played Mohamedou? Uh, each time I pick a part, the first thing I do is to pick parts, pick movies that I wanna see as an audience member and trying to find parts that I've never done before when it's very distant from me, like for The Serpent, for example, uh, I, 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 I see a real excitement because uh, there's a big challenge and especially uh, in the Mauritanian, there was so so many challenges. I mean, language-wise, acting-wise, uh, experience-wise, and, and uh, that was exciting enough to to pick this movie. And but when I my feelings were kind of uh, 
mixed up when I read the script because I was totally excited, ready to, you know, to go to work. And at the same time, I felt sad and, and angry because it's a true story. And I knew that a man, an innocent man, a good man has been treated this way. And I was amazed at what he took out of this awful experience. I mean, I was talking about it, his philosophy. What I took from this movie is that I know that movies are made to entertain people, but if you have a movie that can help people to think differently or to teach to an audience something that they don't know, it's, it's, it's very important to me. And plus, I think that a movie, when it's, uh, it is a testimony for uh, uh, the future generations. So you need to tell, uh, Jody was talking about truth. It needs to be truthful, especially when it comes to a true story. So... So in 30 years, when, uh, I don't know, a young man will watch the movie, he will see exactly what it was. So I'm going to um, ask Nancy a question. My question for you is, the film shows a little bit about the process through which you became ca the case came to you. Uh, and I believe you took the case in 2005. So four years between 9-11 and when you took the case. I have a couple of questions actually. My first is before this case came to you, did you, did you have any awareness of what was really happening with these detentions and arrests? Were you following these issues? Uh, that's my first question. Second question is what, at what point when the case came to you, because in the film they show that there's some pushback in your firm, but at what point were you like, no, no, I'm gonna do this. I have to do this. Well, to, to start your first question, uh, none of us knew much about what was happening in Guantanamo at that time because it was secret. And it was only starting to become evident as we went. So we didn't know what was happening. And then all of a sudden uh, we, we've got this issue of do we want to be the lawyers in this situation where there are no rights, where we're gonna be monitored. I mean, at the beginning, it was really horrible. And at first I thought, no, we don't. We don't wanna give this any uh, justification. We don't want to be a part of it. And it took me about 10 minutes to change my mind and say, as somebody said, if we don't do it, who will? And they're going to get bad lawyers. And we did it. And then I wanted to do one. I wanted to do a trial. The first guy didn't want to have any lawyers. And I was waiting for a case to kind of come to me. And this one came to me. And actually, my partners didn't there was some pushback from some, but what's not in the movie is that one of my partners said, look, this is why we became lawyers. And we've always done a lot of pro bono work. I've always done a lot of pro bono work. I've never done any work that cost my firm so much, but there's never been any pushback, any pushback on that from my firm. They're, they're wonderful people. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, we always, we always do a lot of cases like this. And I'd represented Muslims before. I'd, um, I had the, the Holy Land case and I had the Damra case. And that, that was never going to be an issue for me at all. And I was happy that it wasn't an issue for Muhammadu either. Thank you. I, I have a slightly different question. How did you find Jody's portrayal of your character? <laughs> How was that whole experience for you? Well, being a big Jodie Foster fan. <laughs> Yes, she did warn me. And but being a big, I mean, who isn't a big Jodie Foster fan? I was so excited. I was so excited that I got to meet Jodie, that we got to talk, and uh, that she was going to play me 
Um, and she did warn me. She warned me that it wouldn't really be an impersonation. And as Jody has said, I don't think I'm as mean as she makes me. I don't think I'm as curt as she makes me. But I've asked some of my friends and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, she's, she's pretty much right on. <laughs> so I guess I have the wrong impression of myself. But, you know, there's, there's so many years and it's Kevin who had to take these 14 years when Terry and I went to see Mahamadou every two months, when there was nothing happening, Mahamadou and I talked about everything under the sun because we had no, there was no case. And he would write occasionally and say, you know, you don't need to come, it's expensive. And I would say, yes, one of us needs to come to, there was, it's not like a regular prison where you can call or write or see your family or any of that. So we had to go. And Mahamadou and I got very close through that. We talked about our families. Um, I learned more about Islam. I learned a few Arabic words. And I want to go back to one other thing where you said, how did he keep his faith? Because I would watch, you know, Mahamadou would pray and he would just sort of go off. He would, he would turn up the television. That was kind of a clue to me. He'd turn up the television and walk over to a corner and pray, and I'd just leave him alone. And I went once, and he wasn't praying. And I said, what's going on with you? And he said, it's hard to keep faith in a place like this. And I knew that that was bad, that that meant he was really having a hard time. And we talked about it. And he, you know, he went through periods of despair when I'd come back and say to Terry, you know, I'm really worried about him. And she would come back and say, I'm worried about him. And we would just keep going. And, you know, he would pull out of it. And then, but I think until the moment he left there, he was not convinced he would leave. From the moment he left there, he was not convinced that they couldn't find some reason to torture him again. And the same was true of me. Until that plane landed in Mauritania, and I breathed a sigh of relief, I was never sure that he would be a free man. And it, you know, it was a long, a long time. You know, the, this film is uh, coming out uh, in the year that we're gonna be observing the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, you know, also that anniversary for Guantanamo. Um, there are nearly 40 prisoners still left there. Many of them had not, of course, ever been to the US. They're, they're still stuck there with, and obviously with that same experience. I'm just wondering, uh, Mohamedou, are you still connected to these cases, to people? Are you doing any work around that? Nancy, as well as you, I'm gonna, I want to ask that. And do you think that this film might have a little bit of a political impact in urging this administration uh, to do something about Guantanamo already? Look, this, the book, the book was, we hoped, would get Mohamedou out. Then I signed the contract for the movie a year before he got out, right after the book came out. And I hoped the movie would get him out. And now I hope this movie will help close Guantanamo, end indefinite detention, and get everyone out. I mean, that's, I, I really, really want it to do that. And I know Mohamedou shares that. I also have a client there, Abrahim al-Nasri. He's facing the death penalty. We've won cases for him in uh, the European court, but it's a tragic case. He was tortured in the black sites. So I'm still very much involved in Guantanamo, but you know, we, we have to close it and we have to close it in such a way that people are free especially the, the people who've never been charged, they get to go home or go somewhere where they're safe. The others get tried, I believe, in a real court, not the kangaroo court that is Guantanamo, or make deals if that's what they want to do. 
and we shut it down. Kevin, do you think this film might have any kind of political impact here in the US? Yes, I mean, that is, that is obviously part of my goal and you can't separate the personal from the political. And I think that what I hope the impact of the film is, is that people feel for, they empathize with Muhammadu and they find themselves surprised that they are. And that that makes them think differently about what he went through, but also what the people who are still there are going through. And I think that's the power of cinema, isn't it? That we put ourselves into the shoes of others and we experience life as they do. And I think that it can therefore have, you know, enough people seeing it, enough people feeling this is awful that this happened and it's even more awful that it's still continuing. And how can this man have been put through this? I think those, just those basic emotions can lead to change. We've seen it with other movies which have, which have, which have had a political impact. So yes, I'm hoping, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping the American public embrace the movie. And it's a very, very rare thing, I think, in American cinema to have, maybe a unique thing, to have a really sympathetic Muslim character at the heart of a Hollywood movie. And I hope that people will not be frightened of that, but will embrace it. I would love to hear Nancy talk about what Muhammadu is going through now because this story isn't over and Muhammadu's life, his freedom is still curtailed. And I think Nancy, it'd be interesting for people to hear you talk about that while Muhammadu sorts out his internet. Uh, sure, you know, it took three years for Muhammadu to get his passport. When people got out, I mean, he, he you have to understand he was ordered released by the judge. This was a habeas case, not a criminal case. The government didn't have to prove very much. As Robbie knows, they just had to tip it a little bit. You know, preponderance of the evidence, a very low bar. They couldn't make it. And so he was, the judge ordered him uh, released. The government, the Obama government, the Obama Justice Department appealed every one of these cases where people won, except I think two juveniles. Um, even though Obama said he'd close it and then out of the other side of his mouth, they kept them. And so it was years later when Obama created these periodic review boards and that's how Muhammadu got out. It was six intelligence agencies that had to be unanimous that he did not currently pose a significant threat to the United States. And one of the letters that we had in support of that came from Colonel Morris Davis, who had been the prosecutor in Guantanamo, who said he's never posed any threat to the United States. Um, so, you know, we, we have to keep moving on this issue. We have to keep Guantanamo alive because as Kevin says, most people don't even know that it exists. And we have to keep alive all those cases. We have to make sure that it's not just it's not just Guantanamo. I mean, we have issues of uh, immigration. We have kids separated from their parents. We have a whole lot of issues with immigrants, with uh, brown and black people. And it all gets merged in my mind to what we have to do for people to understand we are one people, we are one race, we all have to live and work together. And we should live and work together. And Muhammadu is such a powerful speaker and person on that subject. The subject of forgiveness, the subject of let's be together on this, that his voice is so powerful that I just want it to continue to be heard after this movie 
is long gone. So I hope that that will happen. I think he's back. Absolutely. Mohammed, did you want to say uh, something about this before we take a few questions from our audience? Uh, yes. So uh, I don't know whether you can hear me or not, but my life in Guantanamo Bay for 14 years was just like that. I wanted to talk. I wanted to defend myself. But my Wi-Fi in Guantanamo Bay was always off, zero. And then people had to talk for me. So all I want to say that I'm not a threat to anyone. This is weird to say, you know. <gasps> and uh, whenever I try to go someplace, in this case in point, the UK, they told me you are a threat because you were in Guantanamo Bay. I said, I didn't go there on my own volition. I was taken there. <laughs> so I, all I want to say is that uh, uh, I love uh, my UK brothers and sisters, and I'm not threat. You know, I can swear. That's my proof. And it's just, it's just horrible that, you know, in, instead of being seen as a victim, you are seen as a perpetrator. And we know that because we read in uh, Britannica that the public at large believe that someone is guilty when the government says they're guilty, even if they don't see any evidence. And that's very bad, you know. That's all I want to say. Thank you, thank can you. I, before we go to uh, audience questions, can I follow up with one question for Mohamedou? Can you talk a little bit about, um, I work a lot in criminal justice reform in the United States, and one of the big issues we try to uh, talk about and raise awareness is re-entry issues, how difficult it is to adjust to life after being decarcerated. Did, could you talk a little bit about your personal experience when you finally reached home again and what that adjustment was like? Rabia, it, it was, you know, something that I cannot describe in words. I was very weird. They, uh, when I, it's like I'm on a different planet. And so when I came, they gave me a smartphone. This was like, you know, the whole world. Every movie I wanted to watch, there is everything I could see. There is no guards, no cameras. I could go to the bathroom without cameras. No one was watching. And then it took me a very long time to use the bathroom without closing the door behind me. And people would pull me aside and say, Muhammad, you need to close the door. And then I get very irritated. I said, it's none of your business. This is my place. I could close it or let it open. And then, and then the first thing I did when I get on YouTube, I looked for Polish movies because they, in Guantanamo Bay, they chose random channel, and one of them was Polish. I didn't wow. say Polish, but I was watching the Polish movies, and I said, I want to recreate the cell. And everything for wow. the first month, I want for, to recreate uh, Guantanamo Bay in my room, but without, you know, I could go still outside. Mm -hmm. And I have no remembrance for uh, what happened in those few weeks. I, I don't recall. So one psychiatrist, my psychiatrist, told me, Steve, the told me that I had been to prison to recover from, from prison. 
I wish can, we had. Can I just add one one thing from that Mohamedou's left out? Um, I arranged for Dr. Zanakis, a retired brigadier general who has done a great work for Guantanamo, for Mohamedou, for my other client. And uh, I asked him if he would go and just spend three days with Mohamedou because I know how difficult this is. But what Steve said was, and this is really important, you never fully recover until you've been out as long as you were in. Thank you. I, I, honestly, there's so many threads here to follow up, but, um, but we, we must move on to some questions and we have a bunch lined up. So the first question I'm going to turn to somebody who should be appearing on our screens shortly. Amar Choban from, I think it is Dusseldorf, uh, is going to ask a question live. And Amar, I think you are, you are live now. Hey, everyone. Mohamedou, um, I mean, I know you personally. We work on many, many things. And what I wanted to actually ask you is, you met me when I was a small kid and uh, you were in, in prison. And when you came out, I'm a grown man, hello, here, sitting here. And uh, while you've been in prison, uh, I remember my mom actually praying for you for every time and, and, and crying for you. And um, not many people of us know it, but uh, Muhammadu is actually, um, he, he knows the whole Quran by heart. And she actually prayed always the same First, which is uh, which means verily along with every hardship uh, is relief. You are an ambassador of hope. Tell me, or could you tell us how you actually managed to survive this hell, actually? Uh, Amar, shout out for Amar. Yeah, I used to tease him, play with him when he was a child, and he remembered everything. To be honest to you, I really don't know. I really don't know the answer to the question. You know, I, I, I think the key is not to have hate because hate will eat, it will eat you out. You keep always people in your head and you keep like fantasizing about them, they're wrong. You just like try to understand people and try to meditate, try to pray, you know, and, uh, and I think that helps, you know. Again, I don't know the answer to the question. I can imagine that you've been very, very alone in those cells, uh, but I want you to let you know, even though we didn't see each other for 20 years, you are not alone. You are um, surrounded by such inspirational and, and, and awesome people like Jody, Rabia, Mudassar, and I think every one of us will do everything uh, to, to, to actually free you because now you are in, in the second prison uh, in your country. And uh, that's a promise to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Amar. We have a, a couple, uh, another question here, something here for Kevin that I thought was quite interesting. Was it difficult as a non-Muslim filmmaker to center the story from a Muslim point of view, from a point of view of a Muslim character rather? Is this something you and the writing team found challenging as you adapted the book to a screenplay? Yes, because it's an, uh, there were so many different pressures on this script. It had to bear a huge, a huge weight because we're talking about a long period of time, many perspectives. We, have, we haven't talked about the perspective of Benedict Cumberbatch's character, who was the government lawyer assigned to prosecute Mohamedou and whose intention was to secure a death sentence. But so we had that perspective and he's a real person and we wanted to, to honor his experience and he really changed his mind about the case and refused to prosecute it. 
obviously there was Nancy's perspective, but the central one is, is Mohamedou's. And we were lucky enough to actually have a Muslim writer who was involved, he's, he's um, an Iranian, of an Iranian extraction, lives in the United States, a man called Sorab Noshvani, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And uh, so he was really the man who kept us on the straight and narrow, but also, to be honest, I was talking to Mohamedou a lot about these issues and saying, you know, what should this prayer be? What should, what should be happening here? And we were lucky enough to, you know, I went to visit Mohamedou and then he was always on the end of, you know, he's so generous with his time on the end of a Skype call. Uh, and he came down to South Africa for a week, and that was an extraordinary experience for us, for the whole crew to have him there. It was the first place he'd managed to go to. The only place that would have him come was South Africa, because I think they understood, having had the ANC experience, how difficult it is once you're an enemy of America and they put you on their no-fly lists and all of this. But they let Mohammed in when nobody else up to this day seems to be willing to. And when he came there, one of the most touching things was that we had a scene towards the end of the movie where Jody and Tahar are reconciling, where Mohamedou and Nancy are reconciling. It's a fictionalized scene, it didn't really happen, but it, it's a very moving scene made all the better by the fact that there's the call to prayer in the background. And this voice doing the call to prayer is Mohamedou. And that always just seems such a lovely, special thing to have him imparting Islam at that, at that moment, at such a crucial moment. Of, of the film. But yes, I mean, you know, as a filmmaker, we dive into worlds that we don't know much about. And obviously I, you know, any mistakes that are there in the representation of Islam, I take responsibility for. We did talk to a lot of people to try and get it right, but I hope we did. Thank you, Kevin. Question here for, for Jody. You've been in the business for over 40 years. Do you feel that we have finally turned the corner where North America has a real appetite for stories of people from other cultures? And is Hollywood ready to adapt for that? Yeah, 53 years in the movie business is a long time. You know, I have no idea. I, I, I'm always such a terrible spokesperson for Hollywood because I really have absolutely no idea what's going on there. I don't know what people are ready for. And I really, I just, I guess what I've learned over the years is that you just try to make the most true movie you can. You make the best movie that you can that, that you know, you feel hits you in your heart and you feel... Uh, is speaking the truth and hopefully that connects to people. You know, I just wanted to continue also just in terms of Islam. I mean, when you make a, a movie about somebody who refuses to have their humanity broken and who finds love, forgiveness, joy in, in these terrible circumstances, you're, you're making a movie that is a spiritual experience, much like Muhammad who lived in his life. You know, hopefully you can see I'm not a very cynical person, that this this spiritual experience um, that he was forced to live made him grow as a person and as a human being. And we know that, you know, in Islam, justice is the primary principle, just as in Christianity, love is the primary principle. And in this movie, I feel like both of those things are, are uncynically represented in Muhammad's character. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PR Unmasked with me, Madassa Ahmed, by Unitas Communications. I hope you've learned something valuable with this episode. I certainly did. We will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>